Welcome to the Western North London podcast, where we sit down each and every week to answer your big Arsenal questions. I'm Caleb. Tim. Tim, you're you're coming to me from farther away than you usually do. Yeah, yeah. I'm here in uh, sunny California. It was uh, 80 degrees today in uh, Carlsbad, California. So, yeah, first time in six months that I haven't worn long underwear. <laughs> That's a big change. It's a big, big swing. It, it, it's different and interesting. And you, I mean, this is your first tra- first bit of travel for a while, I'm guessing. Yeah, first time in uh, what is it? Uh, two years that I, or three years almost December December 2019 since I've been on a plane, which was interesting. Being uh, in SeaTac, uh, <laughs> I, it felt more crowded than I remember it, but I think it just might be that I'm just not used to crowds. Oh, yeah, I bet. There, the, uh, things are different. Things have changed. I'm just getting used to it. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm more used to being around people again, but not so much the crowds. Like, if it gets too busy, I'm just like, nope, I don't like this. I feel weird. Yeah, uh, my lovely partner had a panic attack in the middle of SeaTac because, like, we were waiting for the, the, the boarding, and it was just, like, all the people. and the... It's different. It's weird. How, how can we, we... We just need individual planes for everybody. <laughs> I don't think the uh, electric the, planes. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. As I was gonna say, the gas prices might not agree with that. Yeah, I mean, if you can have an electric car, you can certainly get an electric plane, right? That just takes like a couple thousand batteries. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> totally. I How think have you that, been? That's your... totally feasible. <laughs> What's your week been like? Oh man, uh, I'm. I don't know how it's only Tuesday. Honestly, <laughs> I, I, I'm operating like it, it should be Wednesday or Thursday at this point. It definitely feels like I've had a week's worth of, of work in like two days. So I'm ready for the weekend. That was my uh, actually Saturday, Sunday was yes. I felt like I had a week's worth of work done through that. So, yeah. But anyways, good. Now we get to actually talk about things we like to talk about, which is Arsenal Football Club. So. Yeah, and we get a drink. So let's get to it. What do you What do you got in your hand this week? Well, because I'm in California, I randomly went to a brewery, of course, because I go to brew. And while the brewery, it was Carlsbad Brewing, which did not have any of their own beer because they had stopped brewing. What they did have was a beer I've never had before. A little bit of beer called Pliny the Elder. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, and uh, I've never actually had it before, so oh. I'm going to live taste a uh, plenty of the elder on this. That's a that's a Northern California beer. It's a Northern California beer that's only like uh, distributed in California, and it's considered the what an IPA should taste like. It is like the gold standard mm-hmm. of IPA. It's like a sought after beer. And I was very surprised that I found it and that they were willing to let me just take several of it away for $8 a bottle. Oh, and what a I'm steal. Cons- considering going back tomorrow and buying their entire stock and bringing it back up to Washington and selling it for like $15 a beer, like doubling. But anyways, uh, it's good. It tastes like an IPA. <laughs> I don't like I I sorry go ahead. Oh it's it's a very solid one. I don't once you've had IPAs it's like rarely are you knocked off your feet. It's but I mean once upon a time it definitely stood out. But I think there's a lot there's just so much out there now. It's hard to hard to really stand out amongst the crowd. Yeah, it's I mean like you know me too. I'm also not like the biggest IPA fan in the entire world. And it just, I mean, like, it, it, it tastes good. I'm not going to knock it. It's, it's a great quality beer. I'm just like, uh, the amount of hype that I've heard about it, I'm, maybe that I was always going to be disappointed from the amount of hype I've heard of it. But it's, it's fine. It's good. It's an IPA. 
Tim, I feel like we need to we need to switch pizzazz. <laughs> I don't know what I was trying to say there. I think I was trying to say positions. I don't know how I got uh, switch spots and positions. There we go. I was trying to say two words at once there. <laughs> um, <laughs> I I have a beer you probably like way more than I'm going to like it. Um, mm-hmm. It's a it's a Kolsch. Mm-hmm. And you could probably you might be able to tell me how you pronounce that. Can you see that? Do you know? Oh, it's backwards. Fruch. <laughs> it's a fruch kolsch. Um, and yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm not gonna like it, but I had it in my fridge, so here we go. While you're drinking it, kolsch is one of my favorite styles of all time. I figured. I figured this seems more like a tin beer. I can go on a very... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, it's it's not as bad as I thought. I thought it was going to be... Uh, there's a... There's kind of a tanginess that I associate with some, like, German and, and Belgian beers that I, it, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not a fan of, but this is way more mellow than I expected, so it's very drinkable. And uh, I, I, I will try and keep this short because, again, this isn't a beer podcast. This is a soccer podcast about Arsenal Football Club. But uh, uh, Kolsch is, was designed as a German beer when lagers and specifically pilsners were coming out of Czech. But in Germany, you could not use the uh, lager yeast. So it's the ale yeast that drinks like a uh, or ferments like a lager. So it has a very crisp, wonderful flavor. And I assume that's a German beer. I have actually never had that Kolsch before. Uh, yes, it is a premium German beer. It doesn't say where, but... Yes, it's probably from Köln or the area. And so it's like a traditional German Kolsch, which is, yes, I would gladly trade my beer that I'm drinking now for that. Mm-hmm. Cologne, Germany. Yeah, so that you're you're drinking the pinnacle of a Kolsch style beer, and I could yeah trade beers through the screen right now. <laughs> we'll both just tolerate our beers and in which we had each other's. <laughs> yes, exactly. And it only comes in at four point eight percent. Yeah, no shame. Oh, only. <laughs> That's the best type of beers. Yeah. Yeah, we really should be in each other's seats. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, you know, continuing on with things, uh, seeing as I'm in California, I was thinking for my my Tim bit, my question for the week, which Arsenal player do you think is the most Californian Arsenal player? Oh, Ben White, 100%. (laughs) That was easy for you. Oh yeah, between the tattoos and the and the too dark tan, and, and I mean everything about him screams like he would fit right in in California. I was uh, at a store, and the person helping me had very long blonde hair, a very uh, short beard, Gucci belt buckle, and the most tanned like beach tan you could ever see. And I could uh, yeah, I, I can see Ben White in that uh that getup with longer hair. I'm just I'm just looking at Ben White pictures right now, and I'm like, this I he's gonna I'm certain Arsenal will have a California stop when they do a their next U.S. tour, which sounded like it might be this this coming summer, but yeah, he's he's gonna have the time of his life. He he he's just missing missing like the frosted tips, and he might even have that right now. I mean. <laughs> Because like I could see also Ramsdale as a Californian. I he has think the yeah. attitude. He has the attitude. Um. Yeah. Who else? Who else could do that? I don't know. Gabriel. I think Gabriel could be a good Californian. Yeah, I could see it. Yeah, I I just don't think it gets better than Ben White. I think he's the man. I think you nailed it. Like, do we even need to talk about this anymore? <laughs> it's one of the only times I've ever like had an answer right off the bat. No, this is in, in the like two years we've done this. <laughs> exactly. Like, uh, I, yeah, I don't have any 
any better reply to that. Yes. <laughs> all right. I feel accomplished. That's the best thing that's happened all week, really. <laughs> all right. Well, let's not let's not waste waste any more time. We've got a game to talk about. And uh, man, I was saying I was saying to you before we started recording, uh, this was an early game. And the first half was a blur for me. I woke up late uh, and turned the game or turned the game on and watched the first half without any coffee and through blurry eyes and half awake. And I, I, I think it was the better half, but I really was not functional enough to appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, uh, I. Like I've I've watched it twice. I watched it. I, I I said live earlier when we were talking earlier. But when, when I say live, I mean I woke up and I watched it right when I woke up without any uh, <laughs> any uh, influences on. It. And then I watched it again while I was working. And both times I watched it, I think <laughs> as an overall viewpoint of it, it was it was a one nil win. <laughs> like I don't know much to, more to say about it. It was. It, it wasn't fancy. It wasn't sexy. It was just, it, 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 it is, or it was what it was. I do think there were moments in that first half that I wish we could have extrapolated out into the full game. Like they really had some dominant points and they had some slick passing that didn't really come off as far as the final product. Like I think Emil Smithrow had a couple good opportunities that um, he probably had two or three that, he didn't connect well with or, you know, just didn't didn't quite come together for him. And even the goal that we did score through Saka was a bit of a lucky goal lucky goal. I think if if there was maybe one or two less people between Saka and the goal, uh Emmy Martinez probably would have gotten down and stopped that. Um but yeah, I think we uh, the, the Let's not get let's not get too far ahead of ourselves here. So let's let's talk about a couple couple things as far as the lineup goes. Um, we did not have Martinelli available in this game, so Emil Smith Rowe comes in to start, and then Ramsdale, who is also dealing with a, a hip injury, uh, was was unavailable. So Leno comes in after being out for quite a while. I. I it, I can't remember the last time I saw him play. It must have been during one of the cup games. Um, but, you know, it's nice that the the two subs that we had to make were not s- severely impactful. Like, I felt like that, you know, maybe losing Ramsdale might be a big deal, but uh, Leno did well. I, I, I felt like he was... He was mostly solid you could definitely now that i'm used to ramsdale i can definitely see a difference in how the team has to play to accommodate how leno plays um and they definitely have different different way of approaching things but it what it's it's not like leno's a bad a bad keeper by any means so uh if we had to have a couple players out it, it was not the the big drop off that you might expect I mean, I think in an ideal world, it'd be great to have uh, Leno as our backup keeper. I, and you know, I've never hated Leno as a uh, as a keeper. It's just Ramsdale. I think Ramsdale is a. But yeah, it wasn't. I didn't feel like there's a significant drop off with a uh, Leno in there. I think. You know, a couple of times that he may have been a little bit iffy, but yeah, overall I was I was happy. You could tell one of the things I loved, not to get ahead of ourselves, but one of the things I loved is that the players seemed to be very excited for uh, Leno. That they uh, after the game, there was a very very big, uh, you know, giant hug from all the players with with uh, Leno. Right. Yeah, that was. Uh, it's good to see that camaraderie again. Uh, it, it's. It does give you a sense that this isn't just, uh, it's not just about the wins. It's not some show. It's its something that's really happening behind the scenes. And these players are really out there playing for each other and, and cheering each other on and working for each other, even people who aren't getting the start. So, you know, when Leno gets his shot, everybody's rooting for him just as much as they'd root for anybody who, who gets in and, and does something good for the team because they're all, they're all fighting for the same thing at the end of the day. 
And I think uh, he's uh, made relationships with a lot of those players, too. It's not like, you know, Leno's a new player or anything. He was the uh, starting keeper for several years. So, yeah, you know. And I think there's got to be a bit of an understanding that Leno's kind of in a in an awkward spot. And, and when you're starting keeper for as many years as he was, it, it has to stay on the bench and, and play second fiddle to, to a up-and-comer like Ramsdale. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, sympathy for that and, and understanding that he's not in a position that he wants to be in. So when he gets an opportunity like that, it, it's kind of a big deal. So the fact that he got got the shutout, ended the game with a, a, a outstanding save to, to maintain that shutout and keep the game uh, or to get the win. So... It was uh, it was nice to see everybody rally around him and and give him the support that he deserved. Yeah. Uh, outside of that, though, um, you know, I I didn't think I, I I it wasn't like Villa was super threatening overall. Uh, you know, he 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 had some work to do, but not. It's it, it not not a tough game per se. No, it's definitely not a tough game, and I think uh, these are the type of games that, like you know, I'm probably not going to remember this game in three three years time, two years time, probably three months time. Shoot, like uh, it's not a game that like sticks in the memory, but it's the three points that you need. This is like the poster. Uh, example of a game that you just have you win you run through and you win and barely but we did it and like i i i i have, i'm having a hard time trying to come up with really a, a ton of talking points of the game because it's just a very functional game what did okay there, there's a couple things that did happen uh we should talk about uh obviously there was the soccer goal which is is noteworthy and Good for him to. I think he's now tied with the um, for the team lead as far as goals scored uh, with Emile Smith Rowe, which is fantastic to have those two on top. Um, but I think the other the other Saka thing we should talk about is maybe the the foul and the things you know some of the. I don't want to dig into refereeing too much, but. What was your what was your thoughts on the the foul on him that uh, I think resulted in the I think it was Mings that got a yellow card out of that um, and I think it was the it was the foul that ultimately took Saka out of the game. I'm so tired of talking to refereeing because I I, I understand that I have a a viewpoint yada. I don't understand why we get these very soft red cards, very soft yellow cards. I mean, actually, uh, uh, Jaka got a what I thought was an extremely soft yellow card during the game. But the the these fouls that are committed against us are almost overlooked, and I I I, 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 I I'm tired of talking about it because I don't know what you can do to change it. It's just, it's very frustrating as a fan. And every time, you know, we, we get a red card that we feel is a little unjust as Arsenal fans, we start talking about it and the rest of the world goes like, oh, like, you know, calm down. That was a red card. Da, da, da. But every time these types of fouls happen against us, no one, it just, it just doesn't feel like there's any equity with these, with these calls. Like, what are your thoughts on it? Well, I think this is, um, it is an unfortunate trend that Sokka continually gets fouled over and over and over again. And it's amazing that he hasn't had um, a game, uh, more games like this where he gets fouled out uh, and has to leave due to injury. Um, because some of these are, are kind of vicious and he just plays it off. He walks it off. He, he moves on and he keeps doing his thing. But he even he brought up post game at you know he's he's trying to get in the ref's ear and and say hey you know you gotta you gotta give me something here I'm I'm not getting not getting the calls and I'm not getting protected out there 
And after this trend has continued through this whole season, as teams continue to systematically foul Saka to try to throw him off his game, because really that's all they can do. I mean, he 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 plays right through it and continues to push at him, and they they have no answer for him really. So there's very little they can do to to shut him down, other than to try to to foul him and break up the play. But you know, as he is. Uh, saying that he needs needs a little bit more protection, and and you you've got the other side of it where, um, Steven Gerrard's saying you know he's he he better get used to it like that's that's just part of the game, um, I, which seems a bit disingenuous from a guy who's I think in the same same breath said uh you know he's got like sixteen pins in his hip and knee and stuff and he's like. Yeah had to pay his dues and um i i hate that sort of argument where it's like well i had it tough so you get to have it tough like that doesn't make sense as far as wanting to progress the game wanting to make sure young players have long careers like it's if it was coutinho who was getting continually fouled to the degree that saka is he'd be saying a lot of the same things because when one of your star players is being targeted, of course you're going to want to speak up and stand up and hope that the referees protect your player because if Coutinho goes down and he's out for the season, Villa's dead in the water. Like, they don't have much going on. Um, And so a player like Saka, of his quality and his importance to the team, of course you want to see that sort of player get protected, whether he's on your team or, or not. You want the. I think that every coach should want the referees to have a standard that protects players of all calibers, not just the stars, not just the English players, not just uh, whoever they favor that in that game. It should be equitable to the point where we don't have to be talking about players not being protected equally or fairly. It should be um, obvious that that is what the referees are there to do is to create a safe environment for these players to play. Yeah. And I mean, I think you also see the other side of the coin, which is that, uh, you see a lot of players diving or embellishing and, you know, we, we all complain about it. We all get mad about it, but you know, if you're constantly getting fouled and not getting the calls, I can see why a player would want to embellish or dive. It's like, you know, you have to call attention to these fouls and, and and do that and i don't i just i don't see it as part of the game that it you know i understand that like you know back back in the day people would like break each other's ankles and play soccer but that's just not the modern game and nor is it a game that i think we want to watch so it's 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 very frustrating for a number of reasons. And as I say, like the, for me, the most frustrating thing is that it seems that Arsenal gets a lot of the raw deal on the, or just the unequal application that you're calling these fouls against Xhaka and Gabriel, but you're not calling it on the, the other way around. Right. Well, I, I just feel like there's so much um, talk about player safety in general and, and not when it comes to, actual application as far as what the referee's role is in the game. Um, of course it is to, to make sure people are following the rules, but I feel like player protection, like when we're talking about head injuries and things like there's very much a, an emphasis on making sure that the whistle is blown and, and players are, are protected when, when certain situations occur, but uh, continual fouls and dangerous play seems to get called very unevenly. And it seems like a dangerous play is a dangerous play, no matter who it's against, no matter who's doing it. And uh, when you're when you're talking about improving the game, and and, and VAR can can do a lot as far as uh, the um, you know trying to, trying to get calls correct when it comes to goals, when offside, and 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 trying to get these fouls kind of cleaned up on in some cases. It, it it would be nice to see some you know tracking because obviously 
you know, you've got a situation in, in this game where Xhaka gets gets a yellow card and, and the referee point points to several points. Uh, he, he, you know, he he gestures like Xhaka's had all these fouls on the on the field that led up to his yellow card, which turned out to be absolutely false. His his one foul resulted in, in the yellow card. And, and I feel like VAR could really, because it has a whole or should have a holistic view of the game a little bit more than a referee who can get caught up in emotion and, and easily lose track of things sometimes um, to keep things on the rails a little bit as far as player safety and say, Hey, this guy's got like two or three egregious fouls and you're not get, you haven't given him a card yet. I think we need to do something. Um, so like I, I am not necessarily for VAR overreaching, but I do like the idea of kind of a a disciplinary uh, logbook that says, "Hey, let if it didn't, we don't maybe need to disrupt the game, but let's make sure that we go back and say that was a bad foul, and you let play go on, but you need to go back and make sure that 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 player gets a card so that this this game stays clean and that that player is riding on thin ice and isn't given the opportunity to continue to foul players over and over again. Like let's." It, it, the so many times I see the referee give advantage or just let play go on or something happens and he doesn't go back and, and correct things and doesn't do enough to, to keep things tidy and in control. And I feel like VAR could do a lot more to, to help keep those things um, cleaned up a little bit. It's, it's not just VAR. It's, it, I think referees need to stop just, calling on reputation because like the Xhaka foul like I to me to be honest like I understand like the soccer foul is very upset but the Xhaka foul pissed me off to no end or the Xhaka yellow card because it was not a yellow card that foul by itself and I was so confused why I was given other than like the only excuse is that like the referee knew it was Xhaka he has a reputation there were 20 fouls in that game that were far more egregious than what Jaka did. And Jaka, I... I don't know. It's, it, it's frustrating. I hate... I, I do hate talking about referees all the time. Like, it's more important. It feels like they're... There's got to be a solution, a better solution to what's going on right now. If... I, I think I'd be even more... I mean, we don't really know what Saka's situation is. I'm sure he was pulled off as a precautionary measure to uh, preserve him for the international break or, you know, to try to make sure he didn't get any further in- injuries. But, um, you know, it, it, you should not be in a position where you have to pull a player for their protection. That's that, that's that just shouldn't shouldn't be a, a scenario in this game. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's. There are some players like you know we we've seen Lacazette be a master at drawing fouls in dangerous situa- in dangerous areas, and that that is a style and and that is a, I think everybody understands what that is. You're you're looking for a foul, you're going to get it sometimes, and um, that is very different from the style that Saka plays. Yes, he looks for contact. Yes, he looks to play close to players and try to turn and get around them that doesn't mean he's looking for fouls. That's just not his style. So I don't know, you know, if he is getting fouled, it's usually legitimate. It's not, it's not him looking to create something out of nothing. And, and, you know, as Arsenal fans, we're very familiar with the other side of things. Like it's, it's happened so many times before with us that, I mean, Diaby is the example. We'll always know that like these players don't get protected and then their career gets ruined. And we've mm-hmm. we've seen it several times as Arsenal fans, and you know, not just as an Arsenal fan, but just as a player, like a humanitarian thing. You you shouldn't be allowing these fouls that could possibly ruin people's career, or you know, you've seen a lot of players retire earlier because they're just getting these persistent fouls that end up getting to, to per- persistent injuries. There, a hundred percent, has to be a better way to do this. Well, we obviously won't figure it out here today, but it, it does uh, bring me hope that uh, 
you know, when you hear rumors that Mike Dean might be retiring at the end of the season, you know, maybe maybe some fresh blood will come in and things can start to change. Well, I mean, like I, I just listened to a podcast and they were talking about this retirement, but there's also four other referees that are 50 years or older. Like, you, you, I understand that refereeing is a hard job and it's a job that's thankless and you get a lot of hate for and you don't get paid enough. But like have five referees that are 50 years or older is not like a, it isn't a good way to, to, to referee the game. So hopefully... Mike Dean leaving is the start of refreshing this referee core. Yeah, I, I think we've talked a bit about um, them opening up the pool a bit more, pulling from other countries, pulling from more age groups to try to bring up younger, more uh, di- a more diverse group in general would be better. But it, it is it is crazy to me that this league that claims to be the best in the world is so lackadaisical when it comes to how they treat the referees. And it's an obvious pain point in the fact that you brought in VAR. I mean, that should tell you first and foremost that these referees need help and cannot do it on their own. And that yet it continues to be this, uh, deference to, to the referees and, and how the, their opinions and their calls are unquestionable. And I think that until you can question them, until you can say that they're human and fallible, it's never going to be a problem that gets fixed because whoever the next group is needs to, you know, needs to be in a position where they, they get dropped if they make bad calls, where they get questioned, where it's, it's very, there's a public discourse that allows them to, feel the heat a little bit but i think the way the, that the culture around referees has been so insulated that they just they don't feel that they they get away with a lot and and nobody seems to question it and all the referees all the pundits that are referee uh former referees just seem to back up their calls they don't really ever question anything so it's just kind of a it's a big circle jerk it's not it's not really any uh anybody saying anything that's uh, progressing that that area of the game and the, the thing for me is it doesn't have to be that way. I watch, as I say, I watch a lot of Bundesliga. And it's not to say that Bundesliga doesn't get calls wrong or or things. Refereeing is a better standard. And it's, they listen to the VAR. It's not like this prima donna ref and the centers are cold that always makes the calls. And there is a there is a better way. Yeah, there there's, there's other countries that are, are doing it better. Um, and, and that, that I feel like the, the Premier League knows that and should take notice of it if they haven't already, that it is a, um, a constant complaint, I think in this league, but it will always be something that they, they seem to be more proud of than, uh, anything else, which is crazy to me. All right. Uh, anything else you want to say about this game? Like, uh, I think we've covered it. it as I said at the, uh, the top, it's a very functional win. I love the three points. It keeps us kind of churning along for uh, the the fourth place spot. And yeah, I'm glad we got it and we can move on. I Okay, I thought of two things. I was trying to finish it up. <laughs> I can't I can't walk away yet. I do have to shout out uh Rob Holding for coming in and locking it down again with his his 352 formation cuz whenever you see Holding come in it's 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 done. He's putting he's putting a nail in it. And uh I I'm, I'm starting to appreciate his role in the team to just be the closer. Those are the sleepers, what I was going to say. Like, it's like he puts a chokehold on the game and just drags him down to the mat, as it were. Yes. He, he pretty much just comes in and, and just is a, a human shield deflecting everything that gets brought into the box. Um, and uh, I, I also, I would say if I was doing uh start bench drop this week, which I should, probably should have done, but... Um, 
and Kenya and Pepe are big drops for me. Just do not let them on the field if we can avoid it. They did not have good games. They didn't have good games. I I think drop would be difficult for me to put. I mean, Kenya, I'm I'm done with. I don't know, like if the start bench drop is even the right words now. Like I'm just done with Kenya. Like I, the, this is experiment is over. We need a different striking option. I'm still willing to give Pepe a bench spot just because I think he can offer something different. But yeah. He's just the wrong man for this sort of role when you're not looking to push forward. If you're kind of bunkering and and trying to see a game out, he's just not the guy you want to be reaching for on the bench. And I get that this was uh, a necessity because we were a little shorthanded, but Man, that's just not that's just not what he's cut out for. If you want to go get a goal and you need to chase a game, he's the guy you want. But otherwise, that's it, you know you bring in holding in this situation, not Pepe. Yeah, I think uh, it's a wider discussion we can have. I guess in the off season when we're looking for topics, but like he is like the ultimate Emery signing, signing, and just doesn't fit into this team as Arteta sees it, and it's obvious in games like this how much he doesn't fit in. Yeah, I think we're going to we're going to be talking about him a lot more in the off season for sure, but he still has he has time to have a redemption arc. I I don't I don't I'm not counting him out. I just say in this situation I'd rather drop him than play him. All right. I think those are the things. Oh wait, one more thing. You keep on coming up with these things. Like we keep on trying I to transition out, out of this game, and you're I can't you're, stop. <laughs> so can't what do you got? Uh, I just wanted to get your feeling on how you've uh, felt this game went as far as a response to the Liverpool game. I mean, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like they came in and blew blew Villa out of the water. I mean, I think they they pretty much controlled that first half very well, and um, but as as far as a. A proof of concept to say, hey, this this actually is still a team that can play. Do you feel like this was the response we needed? I'm going to say the response we needed was three points, and I don't care how we got it. Response, like it's a, that might be a better question for like two or three games down the road. Responded to it, but to come back from Liverpool, get three points. I'm, I think that is all the response you need. As far as sexy, beautiful game with soccer as a response to Liverpool, this wasn't that game, but we got the job done and we got the three points, and that's where I'm at. Yeah, I think we, we've we seen this team kind of slip and slide when things get a little, you know, when, when we, you have a high-profile game like the Liverpool game go against you. We've seen this team kind of crumble a little bit following up those sorts of games and this would certainly fall in the category of a potential trap game that we've had in the past um it's nice to go into go into this and not feel like this team was going to really do that I, I never really felt like they were um they've never really seemed deterred by these losses to to these top top three top four teams and it's it is something that I think that Arteta's done a good job of building some resiliency into this team so that when they do lose, it, it's not the psychological blow that it once was. And I think they, they looked up for it. I didn't, I, the only, the only thing I would say that the carried over was just some very tired legs. I think that that was the, the real reason they dropped off a lot in the second half is that the, third game in the week after playing Liverpool it was it was bound to have an effect and I think we definitely saw saw that to some degree especially with such little rotation this week and um yeah not really much to go go to the bench and grab so um I'm glad they were able to pull it out because I I I think it's a big statement to to come back and and get the win after after the Liverpool game and before the international break yeah, I mean, I think it. I mean, I think it was vital to get a win before the international on the points and 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 doing well. 
this year of all the years i'm very i have very little care about style i really just want the points and want the fourth place and i don't care how we can stabilize then we can start talking about responses and how we look da da but as long as the points keep on flowing i don't i don't care yeah, and clearly we got to just keep getting points because uh, if not Man United, it, it looks like Tottenham's going to be hunting us down. If they have anything to say about it, it's gonna it's gonna come down to the wire with them. Ugh, I know. But uh, the nice thing about Tottenham is they're consistently inconsistent, and you know, like they, they've been, they just broke out of their pattern of win loss, win loss, win loss, and so now with two wins in a row, I'm hoping that they get two losses in a row. That's uh that's my uh, <laughs> my hope for that. Yeah, I'm just looking at their uh end of season run. They don't have they don't I mean outside of the game they have with us, they don't have too many big games left. So they have very a very winnable schedule, which is unfortunate for us, but we'll go out and do what we can do. Yeah, we can do what we can do. All right, we can move on from this game now. I apologize for dragging it out as long as I have. You're actually going to make the transition now? Yes, I will allow it. Uh, what was our? Oh, what are we going to talk? What do we want to talk about with the international break? What What are you feeling? I don't know if there's much to talk about. I actually haven't done enough research to see who's playing, what's playing. I. I believe there's a lot of friendlies this international break. I could be 100% wrong. I apologize for anyone. I Yeah, I think there's a mix of qualifiers and friendlies, but the there's a lot of teams that have already qualified, so they're, they're in friendly mode, tooling up for the, the World Cup. Um, you know, I know. Four call-ups from, from Arsenal, which is, is good, but I don't know what the situation with Saka and... Uh, Ramsdale will be if they're going to carry injuries. They may not be playing. The only thing I know is that Sweden was slated to play in some uh, qualifiers, but it's all gotten weird because they're in a bracket with Russia. So uh, <laughs> that well, got, that's fun. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah, so I mean, as with inter- inter- any international break, all they want is injury-free. You know games players come back to us healthier than when they left and i think it'll be good because we've been running the same lineup to have some of those players get some breaks yeah i would definitely say for a player like lacazette who looked real tired in that second half um it's great that he doesn't have any call-ups to worry about he's gonna just have a couple weeks off and that's that's really good for him you know Probably if Saka and Ramsdale are both carrying injuries, that's a, a positive thing that they're going to get some rest. And if they're just little knocks, then they'll be back in time for uh, the post-break game. And uh, I think it, for a player like Tommy Asu, also it gives him a little more time to to come back from his injury. So hopefully by the time we get back, we're we're dealing with a full full lineup, and and some of those uh, some of those injuries have gone away. Um, more yeah, on, I, on the international ring again. You know, we'll talk more about it next week. I guess that that'll be all we have to talk about. So we'll, we'll dig into some of the games, I guess, and see how these players are doing if they're even getting minutes or not. Um, and uh, maybe we take our own little break right now and come back <laughs> in a few minutes. Uh, well, in just a moment, we'll be back with some questions from you guys. So stay with us. Welcome back from the break. We've got a bit more for you. A few questions from from our dear listeners here. So let's get started with one from Tim Tim Whitholm. He says, can we talk about how wonderful Arsenal away fans are or can be and why it is so unfair to criticize them as celebrating excessively when they are, are just being fans? The scenes at Villa Park were understandably ecstatic and great to watch. I, I mean... 
my first answer is I really can care. Like, I'm going to use a swear word, so turn it off if you're listening to this in the car with your children. I give no <laughs> fucks about like what other teams think about our celebrations. As someone who watches soccer regularly, I celebrate any win as if we won the World Cup. Like I don't, I like <laughs> this like narrative that started from the uh, the Wolves game. I don't actually understand, and I think our players deserve to be happy. I I, I can't out I answer to our away fans because I've never been an away fan section. I don't under like I don't have the first-hand knowledge of that but just as you watch the team and the fans interact like they're just celebrating winning and like each of these games is important to us we've been a team that hasn't been at the top of our game for so long and i don't know even when i play rec league i'm excited when i win i don't understand why like it's suddenly taboo to be excited when you win yeah i think it's uh I would be really sad if I was, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure how the teams above us deal with winning. I'm sure they, they are happy and excited about it to some degree. I'm not sure how their fans deal with their wins. If it's so, uh, normal for the Chelsea's, the, uh, Liverpool's and Man City's to win on a regular basis that it's just, created a, a, a numb atmosphere, you know, it, where, where that's expected. So we don't, we don't celebrate it, but for us, we're in a very different situation. It hasn't been normal. It hasn't been, um, uh, something we've, we've grown accustomed to over the years. We, we, we don't take it for granted because it is, we understand that it's fleeting. Like you under you as Arsenal fans, we know the ups and downs and how, you know, the fact that we have a season that we can be proud of and, and not have to be fearful that this team is going to necessarily fall apart on us. I mean, I, I, there's, even as I say that out loud, I still, there's that part of the back of my brain is like, don't count your chickens yet. But you know, it, uh, it, it is nice to have feelings of positivity without uh, an asterisk. And I think that is something that's new. And um, this team has actually endeared itself to the fans in in a way that I wouldn't have expected in such a short amount of time. I mean, this is, uh, there's a few players, of course, like uh, Emil Smith-Rowe and Saka, who are longtime uh players that have come up through the ranks and we've had we have another handful of players that are um, we're familiar with from previous seasons but there's a good chunk of this team that is brand new to us and the fact that they've all come on and, and gelled and have shown their personality and sold people on what they can do on and off the field I think that should be celebrated and you know they've They've created a a positive atmosphere even when they lose. I think that that's that's kind of amazing in itself. You know, there was a time when, not that long ago, when this team was getting booed by our own fans, where every every decision was being questioned, and uh, it's just it is a a a one eight a hundred and eighty degree turn from where we were not very long ago, and. Again, I I agree with you. I do not care what anybody on the outside thinks. If they if they think that it is wrong to celebrate, then uh, honestly, I think they're just jealous that their team or their experience does not match what what they ha- the Arsenal team has right now. I, I like I, I and oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead. I, I I all I was gonna say is I I think that if you're if you're not celebrating like this on a weekly basis. And you're not finding joy in this game, then what are you here for? That is exactly the point I was just going to say. I don't understand, like, the point of, like, not celebrating. Like, I would love for our players to celebrate every win like they just won the World Cup. That would be, like, ideal. That, that, that is what we want. Like, I, if you're not excited about winning, 
what is the what is the point? Like I I don't get this. Like I I don't get like you know the first game of the season. Burnley celebrated their win against us as if they had just won the Premier League. Like it was a and I don't begrudge their fans at all. It was a big win for their club. It was a, a great win for their club. I don't understand. Like I think it was a narrative that started at the Wolves game, and I just I people are keeping it up, and it's like I don't know. Haters gonna hate is. I guess the uh, too long didn't read answer is haters <laughs> yeah. gonna hate. Yeah, I I always like to contextualize things in the hometown team that we do have in the Sounders, and I think what what we have with the Sounders is is unique even in in MLS to some degree because we have such a storied history, but there's tradition built into how the team and the fans interact before and after the game and a lot of it comes from like win or lose you have that connection and you have that um support no matter what and so you will always see the the sounders come the the team come over to the 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 fans home or away and you know applaud do their routine where they you know are serenaded by the fans and um I don't know what the the whole you you probably know better than I what they what they call the um where they all join hands and do that thing. Yeah, I don't know if there's a word for it. It's just something we do. I don't know if there's a name. But uh you know there there's traditions built into that and that builds that connection and and maintains that connection to the fans and the fact that we're even close to that with Arsenal says so much because I was always just in shock, you know. It, 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 when you watch the TV, watch a game on TV, not even that long ago, how quiet it was at the at the Emirates, and and how just apathetic the fans were, even when the team was doing well. And now to hear them get excited about wins, losses, and everything in between, just touches good good plays within the within the game. The the crowd goes wild. I that's that's what we're here for. That's why we love the game. I don't know why anybody would would begrudge that and and criticize that connection that the the, the players and the team has built with the 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 crowd now. I think the most telling, and I, I think it's we can close it because we've we've covered it. But like I think the most telling thing is it's not coming from outside the team. It's coming from other players, specifically players that have lost just lost a game. And if that's the sour grapes mm-hmm. they want to crush. They can they can have them sour grapes like uh, our team is happy and our team is doing well and they're happy to be doing well. I I, I don't know, but I, I from the players' perspective, they they the losing teams seem to want to take it personal or make it seem like it's about them. It's it's wholly about what we're doing, what we are. It doesn't matter who the opponent was. It doesn't matter. Uh, it is whether it's an amazing team or a low level team. It, it it a win is a win is a win, and it's something to be celebrated. So I don't think anybody should try to take that personally. Exactly. Uh, so our next question is from Drunkaroo, and he asks, or they ask, sorry, Drunkaroo asks, uh, how do we handle the congested schedule when we haven't rotated our squad? We have to figure out a way of fitting ESR and or and Martinelli into the same lineup. Hmm. Well, schedule congestion is is it's an interesting thing because it it is going to come up again a couple more times, especially with Chelsea and uh, the Tottenham game that are probably going to have to be squeezed in midweek and. Uh, I'm sure that Tottenham game is getting pushed out as far as it possibly can to make for a huge uh, finale to the season, whether it's the last game or not, it's going to get pushed out so that they can play up the drama because inevitably they're going to be pretty close to us in the, in the table. Um, So these midweek games are going to, going to be a part of the rest of the 10 games in the season. Um, But we have been lucky, and I think Arsenal have benefited greatly from not having a ton of congestion now that they have um, 
gotten out of the cup games or the, the other tournaments and have not had European football this season, it's, it's been a positive thing. And I think it's helped us on the injury front. I think that's why they felt they didn't have to go out and buy, make any impulse buys to in the, in the January window because they could focus the thin squad on, uh, manageable schedule through the rest of the season. Now, I don't think you could um, account for what COVID might do, what injuries might do. You are definitely rolling the dice there. But um, I think when you're when you're looking at a, a two to three game a week uh, rotation, I think in Arteta's mind, these players should be able to handle that. And uh, I, I I get that there is a risk in in not rotating, but I think he, had, he there's a risk also in in over rotating and, and rotating for the sake of it because they have been playing very well with um, with each other because they've they've had that that uh, muscle memory they've had that time to acclimate to each other. So if you're constantly rotating players in and out, it it can be disruptive to the uh, squad harmony and, and making sure that they're really gelling. So I think they've benefited from having a consistent lineup, which has been almost unheard of in years past because of injury and other things. So, uh, they, they look like they are figuring each other out a bit better because of that. Uh, as far as, the rest of the season, if they need to rotate, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, if we come back from the international break and we're still carrying injuries, there's definitely going to have to be some rotation. But I think for the most part, they could, this is a very manageable schedule. And uh, in Arteta's mind, he's going to want to try to put out his best 11 as much as possible and uh, only rotate as necessary and not as a preemptive thing, more as a reactive thing. Uh, and the, the Emil Smith throw and Martinelli in the same lineup, when you're looking at what we have on the bench, I'd rather have one of them coming off, off the bench than try to force them both into the lineup right now. Because like I said, we got Pepe, we got Nkedia. Eh, I think I'd rather have a Martinelli or Emil Smith throw coming off the bench to give us a boost. Yeah. Your, 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 your second part or answer to the second part of the question is exactly right. Like I'm hundred percent with you. I think it's an interesting gamble as far as the first part of the question. It's a very interesting gamble. And we saw that what what what, what was happening with the last transfer window, the winter transfer window, was it was a gamble that there wasn't the good deals out, so we're just going to roll with our best 11. It's, it's a dangerous thing because you can see what happens to a team, like, you know, obviously different levels, but, like, with leads and the amount of injuries that they've had, and if you don't have depth... In that, it could spell disaster. And we're already hitting some injuries. We've talked about Ramsdale being out and uh, Tommy Yasu being out. I We're two or three players away from not being disaster, but from losing that fourth spot because we don't have the depth. But that uh, that is what it is, you know? And so I... Uh, yeah. I, I think it's a gamble that was very consciously taken and so far it's working out and we'll see at the end of the year. It's, a, it's again, it's an end of year question of whether that actually fully worked out, but we'll see what happens. Yeah, there's definitely still spots where we're thin. So if, if, if things were to really fall apart, we would definitely be testing the limits of how good the system is and how good these players are. Um, you know, if we lost a player like party, I think that would be a huge blow, but some of these other spots, we can definitely absorb it for the short term, um, and, and not have a significant drop off. So like we, like with Cedric, with, uh, Leno coming in, you know, those, those are players that are going to be able to hold their own and it doesn't drastically change how we have to play, but a player like party going out, that's, we'd have to probably change our formation or change the way we play to accommodate for that. So uh, there are, there are thin spots that we don't have easy replacements for, even though we have bodies, we don't have the same skill sets. 
All right. Last question of the week. Um, friend of the show, Jonathan King Monilis, asks uh, Arsenal women question. Uh, so, Black. Okay, Tim, I'm going to butcher this, but Black Stainus? Black Stainus. As a nine. Stainus, excuse me. As a nine. And Midma as a ten. Is it. Is that getting the best of the all-time leading goal scorer in the Women's Super League? It's a great question. And uh, I thank you, Jonathan, because I will spend any amount of time talking about a Swedish national team player. So please ask any Arsenal-related questions where I can just waffle on about Sweden and their national team and how both the men's and the women's team are going to up. Uh, but I... <laughs> I... I I see where he's going with that question, which is Medina has been the best player in Arsenal, goals guard in Arsenal history for the women's team. And, you know, there's an argument to be made for the Arsenal history and to make her move positions to put Blackstenius in is, could be difficult. I, but I, I I I have a lot of time of day for Blackstenius, not just because she, she's a, a, a Swedish national team player, but because she's an amazing player. And I think Medina really does have the ability almost to kind of move back and make be the playmaker for Blackstenius and 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 increase the. The danger, and it's, and I also don't think it's a one or the other situation as well. I think both of them can be switching positions, and that's that's something that uh, Blackstenius does do on the women's team for Sweden. Is that she's not it's just an out and out striker? She does play some of these other roles. So I, I don't, I get the concern, but I think it's 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 not a bad thing to have both those wonderful, talented players on the team and that I think they're just going to improve each other. Yeah, I, I, I have um, a lot of faith in the women's coach. And, he, you know, sometimes coaches just have to try stuff and, and see, you know, when you're trying to... You're talking about, like, trying to fit in your best players and get the most out of them. That isn't always easy game to game to make sure that they're at their peak position, peak performance. But, um, I think you, you have to look at a, uh, overall run of games. If you're, if you're getting enough out of each player, it it may not be that you're getting the most out of them in, in each individual game, but in, in the bigger picture, you, you're, you may be pushing the team forward in a different way. And that's, that can be a positive thing, even if it means you're taking, your leading goal scorer out of their best position, it could mean that they they learn a new skill set and that, or improve a skill set that they they had all along. And I think that that can be a, a positive thing when push comes to shove, and you have to sh- inevitably shift players around again. Now, you, now, uh, Midima has uh, a, another thing to tap into and add to her already great skill set. I mean, I just, I, this is a call out to the, uh, the makers of FIFA. Now all I want to do is play with Medina and, uh, and, uh, Axinius on the same team. So I wish they would have put the women's club team on FIFA. Cause I think that would be such a fun, such a fun, uh, team to play. And yeah, the more I think about it, the more I, I love those two players playing with each other rather than taking away from Medina's goals is going to create a Uh, Perez Henri mm, style mm-hmm. yeah. combination. All right. Anything else? No, other than please ask more questions about Swedish national team players. I will talk about them all day long. <laughs> all right. Challenge. The challenge has been laid down. You, you've heard it. So work on your best questions for future episodes, especially next week when we have nothing but international games to talk about. So watch, watch Sweden and send in questions <laughs> if they play. I don't know if they're, I don't know you what know, they're going to be doing. They're, they're supposed to be playing, uh, 
but the, as I said, they're in the bracket with Russia, so that's all been tied up at the international court. So. Interesting. Well, they they need to play to get ready for this uh, whatever comes next for them. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen with their group, but in the World Cup, they need uh, to get ready. Yes. yes, 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 to take on the rest of the world. Gosh, it's I still can't wrap my head around the fact that we're getting, we're barreling towards a a winter World Cup here, not too far not too far away. Um, okay, let's call it a let's call it a week. Uh, like I said, if you have questions that you didn't send in this week, and you know something comes up during the international break, we're definitely going to need your your questions for next week ep- next week's episode, as the. Uh, the last international break of the season where we still need your help to help uh give us give us things to talk about when things are kind of slow in arsenal world so uh multiple ways you can send us questions uh twitter is one at w of n london we have an email it's west of north london at gmail.com voicemails can be sent to anchor.fm slash west of north london slash message and of course our discord can be found in our show notes uh click the link join the discord send in your questions there as well and join us for chat uh, about arsenal soccer and, and anything else on your mind uh over at the discord uh if you haven't reviewed and subscribed wherever you're listening to the podcast right now get on it uh, it, it takes but a second to hit that subscribe button and maybe a bit longer to review since nobody's ever really reviewed our podcast. It's pretty sad and depressing to me, but you know, it could be you. You could be the person that just leaves uh, a few words of encouragement or co- uh, you know constructive criticism. We'll take anything uh, it, wherever you listen to this podcast. Uh, leave a review. Uh, the theme song uh, from Bobcat is you know just just a taste of what they can do so go check out their website it's bobc.at their album no course to follow is over there and i'm sure they have much more news as people crawl out of their holes and have more shows and things uh coming up so go check that site out for more information on that all right i haven't heard anything uh, about their new touring schedule but if you like pop punk please check out bobcat there you go. All right, that's it for us this week. So as always, see you at the next gun show.